what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's film festival will be held September 27th through 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris Fry with me as well. Yes. Same title. Just ditto on everything. <laughs> co-founder, co-director, partner in crime, my co-host, how many years now? Oh, man. On the, on the podcast. Quite a long while. A while. Quite a while. Co-directors on the Film Society for about 11 years now. Right. So uh, let's say lucky number seven on the podcast. Maybe longer. Seven maybe sounds eight. good. Let's go with seven. Seven. We'll go okay. with seven. It was, a, it was a few years after we started the Film Society. Sure. We started the show. So we've been talking films and, and, and working through some movie news and recommendations for quite a while now. Today's episode is the latest installment of Foot Candle Films. And what we do during the show is we have uh, typically one to two. Today's episode will have two films that we review, uh, films that we're going to talk through and analyze and give our thoughts on. Then we'll move into a section of the show where we have some news to discuss, some movie-related news, maybe interesting projects we've heard of, maybe some uh, announcements made about upcoming films. And then we end the show with a recommendation. Chris and I both each give one recommendation of a film we think is worth your time checking out. Most of the time, those recommendations are ones you can find easily online. Uh, whether it's a classic film that we feel like you maybe want to uh, revisit, maybe something that might have slid under the radar, or just a brand new release online that we think is worth checking out. Chris, on today's show, we've got two reviews that we're going to be uh, discussing one first one will be the film Her Smell, starring Elizabeth Moss and written and directed by Alex Ross Perry. And then we'll follow that up with a film called The Front Runner, which is uh, directed by Jason Reitman, starring Hugh Jackman, uh, playing the Gary Hart during the scandal of the 1980s presidential election. So, Chris, we've got two films to jump right into. Let's go ahead and get started with our first review if you're ready to go. Uh, so we're not doing Ugly Dolls or Detective Pikachu. Those will be in our special extra bonus podcast edition because, you know, okay. we only we save the good stuff for the gotcha. extra the okay. extra bonus edition. So Fair for enough. those of you looking for Detective Pikachu, no, you you have not missed an episode. We have not <laughs> reviewed it. Um, uh, you know, the reviews were not horrible for it. True. So, you know, we, maybe we shouldn't put down Pikachu quite so quick. But no, we will not be reviewing that during today's show. We're going a little smaller, a little more independent with both our reviews today. Let's jump right into our first one then, which is uh, Her Smell. How can I be expected to grow if I'm stuck living and what I already know I don't want to quit I just want to be in I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and you've all stuck with me Control of it Till the very end Ready, ready. 
Chris, in her smell, we have a self-destructive punk rocker as she struggles with sobriety while trying to recapture the creative inspiration that led her band to success. Elizabeth Moss stars as Becky Something, not her real given name, but her new stage name. And she's fronting the band Something She. Uh, and we follow the band probably in the, la- the latter part of their heyday career. Uh, and a film that covers this period of time from where they were a very, very famous band. And we see glimpses of those through some flashbacks and where it goes after that, with a lot of the focus being on the destructive nature and some of the issues that the lead singer and founder, uh, Becky something, as she's facing. This is writer and director uh, Alex Roth Perry's latest film that several of them have featured Elizabeth Moss. Um, right. I think it was, uh, uh, I'm looking for the names here, uh, Philip, uh, Listen Up, Philip, mm-hmm. and then Queen of Earth, I believe were the Queen two films. Yeah, Queen of Earth. Yeah. Uh, two films that he's done with her, mm-hmm. and he's done a couple others, but Elizabeth Moth, they seem to have a good relationship as far as uh, actor, director, and seem to enjoy working together. Let me go ahead and lay this out there, Chris. I have not seen any of Alex Roth Perry's films. <laughs> None. Not even Listen Up, Philip? No. Oh, I thought we actually reviewed it. No, you gave it as a recommendation, <laughs> but I never oh, I saw see. it. Okay. So enough. I have not seen Listen Up, Philip. I have not okay. seen Queen of Earth. I have not seen any of his films. Okay. So here's my questions to you. All right. Well, let me back up before I get to the questions. Sure. I've not seen any of his films, but I'll go ahead and tell you, I am a huge fan of movies about the music industry, behind the scenes of music and bands. Love it. All aspects of it. I'm also a huge fan of alternative rock from the 1990s. I was a huge fan and still am to this day of alternative rock bands, especially ones fronted by female lead singers. Okay. <laughs> Liz Fair, Belly, Julianne Hatfield three, and even lately have gotten back into listening to a lot of stuff from hole with Courtney love as the front woman. I was, which, wondering, I was wondering if you were going to mention that. one. Oh yeah. I think, I think you can't see a film like this and not think about Courtney love to some degree. So my question then to you, knowing that I'm a big fan of those genre, the style of music and everything else, but I've never seen any of Alex Ross Perry's films. <laughs> and I've actually not really seen a lot of film work by Elizabeth Moss. I've seen the one I love. Which I loved and you were not that big on. Not as big on. I, she had a nice supporting role in Us, which I thought she was good in. Yeah. But I've not seen The Handmaid's Tale. I've not seen Mad Men. So really, my exposure to her is pretty limited as well. Hmm. So knowing all this information I'm sharing with you, Chris, I'm asking (laughs) you, why is it that I freaking love this movie? Is it because of Alex Ross Perry? And you can compare it to his previous work. Is it because of Elizabeth Moss, again, comparing to previous work? Or is it because it's just the right genre and type of film that really speaks to me? Why why should I love this movie? Because... FYI, I do. Right. Um, I'm, you know, when you were listing the bands there at the beginning, I was wondering if you were going to say, you know, as I say, I was wondering if you were going to list whole. And if you hadn't, I was going to say, well, okay, you might not like this film. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think to answer your question directly, I think it's probably a magic marriage of Elizabeth Moss's performance and the subject matter that make you love this film so much. Cause like okay. you said, you weren't really into his other works. 
Um, of Alex Ross Perry's films, this is definitely my favorite. Is it okay? So seen. this is we are seeing uh, in your mind in kind of mind, a peak quality film. I film. think this is peak Alex Ross Perry. I've okay. seen The Color Wheel. I've saw Listen Up, Philip, Queen of Earth. The thing that is a commonality with all of his movies, and maybe if you'd seen those others, you might actually be burned out by it. I, I can okay. see some people getting burned out. What is a characteristic of his films is he follows pretty much unlikable people at okay. their center. Yeah. Color Wheel had a brother and sister that were just, they just seem like miserable people. They feed off each other. They make each other miserable. They're really sarcastic. And just, you're like, I don't, and you have to spend time with these people because they're the central characters. Listen up, Philip, same type thing. It was a writer who's just really narcissistic and you just, you know, negative, you know, don't, don't like him Okay. in queen of earth, which Elizabeth Moss was in. She's like a movie star and she just kind of, descend into madness and all this kind of, it's just, you know, but is unlikable. And that's what, you know, you mentioned Becky something who she plays in this film. She's kind of unlikable. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what was fascinating to me and I couldn't help but separate it. I don't, I don't haven't seen interviews with him or haven't listened to interviews. So I don't know if he, I don't see how he consciously couldn't <laughs> have been considering Courtney Love and Hole. Oh, I mean. Um, I, mean I just, yeah. because it, it plays so close to what I remember in the 90s and what I remember of her and kind of her having a child and Kurt Cobain's death and all the stuff that happened. I just, I watching the movie, I just couldn't separate it. And in a way, even though it's not a biopic because it's, you know, this fictitious band with this, you know, and circumstances in this are different from some of the things that happened with whole. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't help. It kind of gave me a new, like appreciation of a rock biopic and also kind of an interesting thing. Like it, it kind of showed the trappings of becoming famous in some of the same ways you always see them, but somehow it felt more authentic. Oh, and some of the choices that were made were very interesting. So I, I'm, the more I think about the film, the more I like it. Same here. But I will say, this film is set up in kind of a five acts, mm -hmm. and they're kind of divided by some of that flashback footage that you talked about. Um, the first three <laughs> acts, um, by the second, and then going to the third, I was like, I'm kind of done with this. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. to me, all it was riding on was my appreciation for the fact that it was kind of mirroring whole and i was like yeah but i'm kind of done with that I'm, i've seen enough of it i can appreciate she's doing a good acting job the sound design i thought was amazing how mm -hmm. they kind of used club noise in the oh, background yeah. oh. it's really disconcerting kind of johnny greenwood it was hard noises. to decipher whether you're hearing background thumping club noise or a true music score. being piped in and <laughs> right. score and i think that was very intentional i think you never you're always aware of the sound going on outside the room right and I thought that was really clever done. Yeah, so yeah sorry. sound yeah. design and sound mixing, I thought was really like, actually, I will say, I think if this is not at least nominated come Oscar time, I think it'd be a big shame because for, for pretty, what for sound design for sound, and okay. sound mixing, because that's one of those things that usually like, you know, transformer movies or mm -hmm. those type of things get, but actually I think Bohemian Rhapsody was actually nominated for this last year. Sure. So, Sometimes music things can't, but just because of the way I felt it was really innovative. So that, that kind of surprised me. So I'm not surprised that you uh, responded to it, but I'd be curious if you go back and check out some of his other stuff, if you'd be like, I think this was kind of a magic mixture. Okay. Well, uh, 
you mentioned about the the structure of the film, and that's something I did want to get into a little bit okay. because I really admired the structure of it. Um, I was with you. Uh, well, let me back up. So the film for those, and I'm not going to go into details of what happens in the later sections of the film, because I do think it's a progression and you want to watch the whole story. Sure. But those first two pretty rough. And I mean, <laughs> intentionally rough in that sure. they're exhausting. They are concerning. They are it just, it's just frantic and it's tough to watch. And they're about 20 to 25 minutes each. You can't so, say there there's like a straight, narrative as far as what's happening it's just kind of the camera's kind of following these people around so this first yeah it's basically the whole movie is five scenes i mean it really is just five scenes right and even those doesn't pull like a gimmick like a one take type of thing i mean there are cuts and all that sure you get this impression still the same forward energy propelling each of these scenes so you feel like at the end of it you actually question did i just watch something as a continuous take no it, it wasn't but it made you feel that way because it felt like it was in real time Right. Like this 20 minute block we're watching was a 20 minute activity. It was sure. a 20 minute scene. And, um, yeah. So the first one we get is right after a performance, uh, happening backstage, you know, back in the dressing rooms and just was it kind like of, end of a tour. Um, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like the last show of a tour and you, you learn a lot about all the players. You learn a lot about what's going on with the current situation. Yeah, and then you move on to the second scene. So again, 20 to 30 minutes per each of these scenes for making up this two-hour movie. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of, you remember the movie Jobs that Michael Fassbender I was, did? I had not thought about that, but in describing it yeah. just now, I was thinking, yeah, Steve Jobs. That uh, Same kind yeah. of idea, just taking kind of more behind-the-scenes moments Some and events. expanding them. Right. I think they only use three, I think, in Jobs, think but it's right. the same idea. It's kind of real-time, you know, backstage not spend as much time with him up on stage. It's all the stuff happening behind the scenes. Now we get a couple songs on stage during this film, but the majority of the film is really backstage or off the stage. Um, but yeah, those first two, even three were terrifying, exhausting, <laughs> frantic. I mean, just sometimes a bear to watch, but then it got to the fourth one. And I'm, I don't think we need to go into details about what the fourth one was other than it was a complete tonal shift. Oh Yeah. Even style of the film mm-hmm. looked completely different. Right. The fourth one was my favorite because okay. I felt like it had the most, it did the most to really solidify the film for me as far as what we're really trying to see and do here. Sure. And then the fifth one I thought was a nice closing scene closing. for the film. So it's well, a great structure. Um, it worked for me and I didn't think it would. And it took me the first two to figure out what was going on, to realize, no, this is the way the film's going to be. It's going to show us these scenes in elongated scene form, but we're only going to show you, you know, four or five of these during the course of the movie. So um, I like the structure a lot. I thought it really worked. I, I, I think before recording, you'd talked about how you pretty much went in blind oh, and yeah. you didn't know anything about it. You I hadn't even seen a trailer or anything. You mentioned here on Mike that you were unfamiliar with Alex Ross Perry, but as mm-hmm. far as even like the description of the movie or anything, you went in completely blind. I, I knew from the poster and the one line IMDb description that, yep, it's a female rock and roller that <laughs> uh, seems to be going through some hard times. Right. That's basically it. And I think because I was aware that it was kind of divided up into little kind of mm. events like you were talking about, I got, I got to be really leery of it um, halfway through the second one. And then the third one, I was just like, come on. I just, I really was worried. I was like, I thought I would really respond to this. And I like certain aspects, but I was, I was kind of almost done with it. But yeah, I agree. The fourth, 
the fourth little piece kind of brings it on home, brings it all home. And then the fifth one, actually I'll say too, won't get into like spoilers or anything, but, um, also for Alex Ross Perry, uh, tone and, (laughs) um, he could have gone really dark. Oh, and a lot of times he loves to do that. I think and he loves to make things yeah. super depressing. But maybe it was because he helped write the script for the uh, live action Winnie the Pooh that was done with uh, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, or Christopher Robin. I think it was oh yeah, called. that was the name of the film. Yeah, yeah. it was named. So I think maybe maybe he got a little lighter or something. Well, so not that it's all yeah. like you know fairy tales and rainbows and everybody loves each other, but. I wonder if that had some effect on how he decided to craft. Yeah, this that film. fifth that fifth sequence um, bordered between you. You really had no where idea it where it was going to go. Right. I think he intentionally kind of threatened you with a little bit of this could go really really bad. Mm-hmm. And even one of the characters even says, uh, "I got a bad feeling about where this is going." <laughs> you know. Right. So, um, but yeah. he did kind of subvert some of those, I think, expectations, and I think. I thought the ending was handled extremely well. Um, I like I like how, um, and I was not expecting this. There's kind of a cyclical nature and kind of the, how the yep. some of the shots mirror each other. Well, basically, the end of the film the starts the almost in the exact same shot as the beginning, right. and even the title comes up in the exact same way, beginning. I love that too. Yeah. But the ending was a nice balance between a Hollywood style ending and a very depressing indie. <laughs> you know, it didn't go right. too far in either direction sure. and it could have Oh yeah, oh, in several places. They were, I almost caught myself starting to roll my eyes saying, Oh no, they're going to go, go this route or they're going to go this route. And they didn't, they kept it, I think very even tempered and it was a nice way to end this. Um, the, you mentioned the tone. I thought the tone was also important because I thought even in those first two or three sequences, which were just a lot of frantic manic energy following uh, Becky around, they still did a great job of balancing a tone between outrageous and a little bit comedic. And I'm thinking like her spiritual advisor that would be following her around the shaman who was picking up the energy from other people she was talking to (laughs) and advising her along the way, right? all the way to terrifying, like any scene where she's handling her child. Yes. Um, That balance was, very deftly maneuvered to mm-hmm. where it never let you got too comfortable in one, one style or another. And, uh, I thought I was, I thought that was really well handled. Well, we've, we've talked a little bit about Elizabeth Moss and I'm assuming you're on board thinking her performance is really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was the fact that she so frustrated me, <laughs> so annoyed me, sure, so exhausted me. Yeah, that's the part, and that's the that's the performance she was giving, and it worked. I mean, uh, yeah, she was really good. So, um, if it tells you anything, I came out of this film not only a wanting to see more of Alex Ross Perry's films, but b I want to see more Elizabeth Moss and just some different uh, acting roles. So, well, I thought the supporting people around her too, the ones that played her bandmates. Um, there was Gail Rankin who was also in, I don't know if you've seen it, but that, uh, Netflix series glow. Oh yeah. She's the, uh, the, the wolf, the wolf, lady. the wolf lady. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which oddly enough, her character name in here is Allie Vanderwolf. So yeah, it kind of kind like of fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought she was really good. And then Ag- I think her name Agnes is Agnes, Dane, Dane, Agnes Dean or Dane as Dean. Marielle. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, she was the other player yeah. in the band and I thought she was really good. Oh, they were all really good. So I thought hus- all the Dan female... Stevens, her husband, I thought was really good. Or yeah. Ex-husband. I wish he had a little more to do. Uh, he kind of just was 
popping in to remind us, you know, how good or bad a mother Becky is. <laughs> There's a there's a little bit of a running joke with him that he used to be a DJ, or, mm-hmm. and they kind of play with that in the credits too. Which I love the credits. I love the f- made up album covers and cassette covers and all that. Right. Um, I wish he had a little more to do, but the times he was on scene, he, on screen, he was good. Yeah. What'd you think, of Eric Stoltz? I thought he was great. I thought he was. I mean, it was one of those films. I had no idea who all was in this thing. Sure. So watching it, it was great. It's like, oh, well, that's Eric Stoltz, and it's playing her manager, and he <laughs> plays her. You know, just that, just that line of, hey, I'm kind of smooth and professional, but yet you start to realize over time, oh no, this guy, this guy's stressed out. <laughs> this oh, yeah. guy is a mess <laughs> dealing yes. with this band. Right. Um, I thought all the girls in the in the Acre uh, girls band were all really good. It's mm-hmm. kind of this new up and coming band that becomes, uh, I'll say, friends with Becky, if you can call it that. Uh, and we follow them a little bit along the way too. Their trajectory is going in a slightly different direction than Becky's is at the time. Um, you know, one thing I really liked about the film too is it was doing a little bit more to explore this idea of okay, you have a. Becky something or a Courtney love or some of these people who cause drama and destruction and, you know, tours fall apart and shows get canceled or whatever, that there's actually some ramifications from all that. All the talk about lawsuits. lawsuits. Yes. Uh, there's a great dialogue between her and Dan Stevens, her ex-husband, talking about all the lawsuits that are on her right. and about how she has to kind of manage those. And right. it's like... Yeah, that's that's the kind of crazy stuff you start thinking about. Tours getting canceled, um, all that. It actually really did and show, like you said, and all this other stuff. Yeah, showed a lot of the authentic, like you said at the beginning, authentic depiction of okay, these are people where celebrity has completely consumed them, mm-hmm. and they've lost touch of what it is they're really doing. And here's all the ramifications that happen because of it. And that's really what the fourth scene kind of helps explore more of that. When, right. Which is why I probably like that one the most because it's kind of just shows us the aftermath of everything we've dealt with in the previous three. Well, without getting, again, don't want to spoil anything, but mm-hmm. I think it is, it is without a doubt my favorite scene in the film. And it reminds me a lot of a f- similar uh, scene in Tony Erdman, which we reviewed a long time ago. Oh yeah. But there's a performance of a Whitney Houston song in that film that totally like, I don't know it identifies what's going on with some characters, changes the tone and kind of lets you know all that you need to know. It's yep. kind of like, you know, an Oscar moment. You could show that and be like, okay, there's a performance of Heaven by Brian Adams by Becky something. And there again, we'll go into like details of it. But it is awesome. It's the best use of a Brian Adams song in a movie, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, I, and I had no idea. Of, um, I mean, you see her sing some in the beginning. you know. Oh, yeah. But That's I had no idea singing. that Elizabeth Moss could really sing. It's really good. And it is good. Yeah. It's good. No, I agree. I, I That's probably my favorite yeah. thing so i think if you can suffer or not suffer but if you can plow through some of the tough stuff and get to that part man it's it's good it is an endurance uh, oh, yeah. challenge to get through those first three scenes yeah uh, but the fourth scene i think totally redeems it and then the fifth scene i think is a nice closing to the film it, it works yeah sure it does kind of what you want it to do doesn't play quite into expectations as much and um yeah um I'm I'm a big fan of this film. Really love it. Uh, there's a couple other things I was going to mention. I just thought were sure. Uh, I love with Elizabeth Moss' performance, her dialogue. I mean, it's, it's this verbal, just constant gushing of things coming out of her mouth. 
saying any anything and everything going on. But she'll occasionally just drop into these little sing-songy lines or spelling out words, you know, hmm. like I'm going to show that person the D O R. Yeah. I'm not saying door, just she right. spells it out or she'll sing song kind of little bits. And it's just so random what she does, but it totally makes sense. Like, yeah, that's somebody who's just, you know, drugs, celebrity, <laughs> everything else going just on. Scattered. Yeah. Just, yeah. just all over the place. And I think she really nailed that whole style of performance. So thought that was really good. We mentioned the ending, which I thought was good. The use of the opening and title credits, or mm-hmm. not credits, but the opening title and closing title itself. Yeah, sure. And just that synergy between the beginning and end of the film. The uh, album covers during the during the closing credits I thought were great. Um, yeah. I, I have a couple of things I thought could have been a little stronger, but they're pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, for me, I mean, the one negative that I had was it – it's shaggy, which I guess the first three acts specifically are really shaggy. And I guess that's intentional because it kind of models after her character being yeah. shaggy and all over the place. Um, but it's just, I don't know. And the running time, you know, it's shaggy, but also add on the running time, two hours and 14 minutes. Mm. I feel like, you know, it could have been condensed, but maybe that's the whole point. You can't, you know, it's, you have to kind of yeah. live through the moments and live. Through I kind the of feel like you're are. meant to feel by the fourth scene you're meant to feel like Eric Stoltz's character mm. at that point. The manager. Where it's just sure. exhausted, worn down. He had been doing this, what do you say, like seven, eight years. Um, and his company had almost been single-handedly driven into the ground yeah. by He's something Yeah, had to uh, re- you know, second mortgage his house. Right. He said, like, all this right. just to keep up with the band. Right. Um, I wish Dan Stevens' character had a little more to do. I mean, he's such a good yeah. actor. I've always liked him. And the scenes he's in, I think he's really good. He didn't have a lot to do at all during the whole first two or three scenes, other than just pop in and remind her that she has a kid. Right. But that fourth scene, he has a great dialogue, sit down dialogue with Becky. And, and I thought it was one of probably my second favorite scene of the film. Okay. Um, the little girl playing Becky's daughter. Uh Oh, just, uh, no, I'm a little more critical of child actors. Oh, I, I, well, I always say I'm more critical. I try to give them a lot more freedom and a lot more wiggle room to like, put on a good performance. I just thought it was pretty, it was pretty bad. Really? Uh, yeah, I did. Just her, huh. her, her dialogue with Becky again, she's a little girl. I get it, but it just seemed it was a really distracting for me in that fourth scene, especially. Wow. Yeah. Huh? Okay. And then the last thing I'll say, um, I didn't feel that, but that's, that's surprising. I love that. They had some original music in this. Sure. And I really dug the opening song of the opening of, of the movie. I like the songs that Becky was rehearsing and practicing throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I like the one that she sang for her bandmate, Allie, or not Allie, uh, Mary, yeah. uh, during the fourth scene. Sure. The last song they play in the fifth sequence, I thought was probably the least favorite of all my songs. It was a little, a little kind of stunk a little bit because, you know, you kind of wanted that last song to be like a really, really good song. And I felt like it was probably a pretty weak one. But, hmm. um, yeah. That, that's my only that's my only negatives they're all pretty pretty minor yeah um, sure. overall i thought it was a great film i really really enjoyed it and uh just yeah i like the format i like the performances uh the genre itself is just a hit for me right off the bat um it really worked for me yeah i think we're i think we're on the same page which surprisingly about halfway through i would have thought that you know <laughs> I was not going to like this film. Yeah. And at the end of it, even so, I was like, it's okay, but 
over time in the days that have followed me watching it, it's kind of grown in my estimation. So I'm yeah. not sure what my star ranking will end up being, but it's, it's definitely going to be, you know, I'm in the, one, I, think. I think I'm at the four. Oh, really? So I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm at the four range for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And before we close out this review, sure. can I just make one little comment? So yes, when I see a film that has music in it and I like any of the songs, I typically will go on Apple music and I'll search for it and try to pull it up and say, Hey, I can actually listen to some of these songs again. And there is an EP out for her smell that has the songs, the ones sung by, uh, Elizabeth Moth during the film. Okay. You've got the first song. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Take it back. You do not have the first song in this EP. Hmm. The first song in the movie, which I thought was the best song. Is the one song not in the EP? That's interesting. But even the one she sang to Mary, even the one her practicing in the in the studio, yeah. are all on this EP. The closing song is on the EP, and the one that the Acre Girls sing in the studio is on the EP. So you're saying but interesting not, choices, for but it. not the opening song, which to me was the best song, and hmm. frustrating. Sorry. That is weird. Alex, get on that, man. <laughs> so, that must be a mistake. Somebody just must have messed up a track no, listing when they put out their EP. The I guess. That was a little disappointing because <laughs> I kind of wanted to hear that first song again, and it was not there. Interesting. All right. So that aside, I think uh, we're both pretty high on her smell as a film. Um, I'm going on a limb right now saying it's one of my, one of my favorites of the year so far. Uh, it really worked for me. So I would definitely highly recommend it. Just know that, yes, that first half is a bit grueling, is a tough sit through. And there may be some moments in the first 30, 45 minutes where you want to throw in the towel and <laughs> walk away from As it. As does but pretty much everybody else that's watching Becky something. <laughs> I think that's the idea is that yeah. we're being put in the shoes of watching this train wreck of a character and how it gets progressively worse over those first three scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does really pay off for those last two, I think having to go through those first three sequences like we do. So that's her smell. It is available on Amazon, iTunes, all the places where you can buy or rent movies online. And we do give it a high recommendation from our end. Uh, so Chris, let's move on to our second review, which is the latest film starring a Mr. Hugh Jackman playing Gary Hart, and that is the film The Front Runner. The youngest candidate, Hart spoke at full campaign trail. The clear front runner. So start with the uh, shoulder in a little. My name is Gary Hart, and I'm running for president. I want you to think about the opportunity that we have right here, right now. I've never known a guy more talented at untangling politics so that anyone can understand. It is a gift. And he wants to share that. And all anybody wants is for him to take a stupid photo. He will never understand that. The front runner follows presidential hopeful Gary Hart, played by Hugh Jackman, during the 1988 election. From surefire occupant of the Oval Office at the onset to tabloid dumpster fire footnote in the history of politics at the <laughs> film's conclusion. Director Howard Hawks once said, a good movie is three good scenes and no bad ones. Were you able to find three good scenes in this film, Alan, or just bad ones? Um, Neither. Okay. Okay. Uh, This is going to be the most lukewarm review of a film. Okay. But your question of, could I find three good uh, scenes? No. I, I don't remember any scene that I can say, oh, yeah, that was a standout scene. 
there's a scene at one point where uh, Gary Hart, played by Hugh Jackman, confronts the media like for the first time. Talking about the alleyway? Yeah. Okay. That's a scene I can probably say, yeah, that was a good scene. Okay. Um, but I, all of the rest of it kind of just blends together outside of that. Now, at the flip side, I didn't think there were any bad scenes. I'm just like, oh, that was a horrible scene or that was like a groaner. No, I thought everything was fine. <laughs> you know, the dreaded word. Yeah, it was serviceable is another adjective I would use. Um, it's telling a true story. Uh, something that, as Americans, we had a little more insight into because part of the whole idea of the story is this is one of the first times that media really got into the personal lives of a politi- political figure. A lot of times in the past, it was just kind of glazed over. And they made a point about that in the film. It's they like, did. hey, JFK was having mistresses and affairs all the time and nobody seemed to care. But here, now it's the 80s and we got TV cameras everywhere. Gary Hart is having a relationship with someone who's not his wife and everybody's flipping out about it. I think it starts to make an interesting point about that. And that's probably what kept me at least a little bit engaged with this film is that I did want them to explore that idea of was this really the first time where the media truly said we need to follow this person as a person and exploit or not exploit, but dig through anything that we can find that's going to get ratings. You know, how much of it was ratings driven versus truly we think this is the best person or not for the presidency. Right. I love that idea. And that's probably what kept me engaged with this film. I wish they had done more with it because it was all very surface. It was a beat by beat telling of what happened during these few months of his, his campaign. The acting I thought was all real good. Sure. I don't think anybody was bad in the film. Um, J.K. Simmons, probably my favorite in the film. I thought his performance was really strong. But he wasn't in it enough. No, he wasn't. But when he was there, he was good. Alfred Molina was also pretty good in the parts he was in, I remember. Vera Farmiga, I thought was good in a role that could have been a very slight role. But she actually gave it a little more heft later in the film. as Hart's wife. As Hart's wife, yeah. And Hugh Jackman was fine, too. So, again, I can't really say the film to me had any faults but the fact that it didn't do anything great is probably where i am on this just saying that you know if you're interested in the subject matter if you're interested in the story yeah i think you come out of it learning a little bit and having a little more insight what was going on behind the scenes but outside of that there's really not a lot for this film to to give us so what's your thoughts yeah i'm kind of with you that's kind of why i phrased the setup the way i did because although i wouldn't say there were any bad scenes basically for me I could only come up with two. Oh, you got two. Okay. Well, let me tell you. And I, okay. So one is the one you mentioned about the whole kind of alley where he confronts some reporters Mm -hmm. coming to try to get him. And that, that I thought was Hugh Jackman's best scene. And I, I thought there would be more of that and there wasn't the other scene you could say was kind of a minor scene, but it was good because it gave you something else to think about. And this was a scene between a campaign worker for heart. And she was talking to Donna Rice at a bar. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. Mm-hmm. Donna Rice, she's like, yep, okay, you know, this is going to happen, and, you know, good luck. And she's like, okay. And then she kind of leaves the hotel, I guess they're at. Well, she leaves the other, the campaign worker stays at the bar. She starts to go down an escalator, and then she yeah, looks back, and the campaign worker's gone, and she sees all this press down at the bottom of the escalator. And that just kind of, yeah. I thought they would work with some of that a little bit more, just like with the scene with, 
we've already discussed. So those two scenes I thought were really well done, but the rest of the movie was just so forgettable to me. And there seemed to be, I mean, obviously, like you're saying, this theoretically was a turning point. Mm -hmm. And this is why Jason Reitman decided, you know what? This would be an interesting film to make now because of how the media is now with the whole fake news. And he's coming. But he seemed to concentrate so much on not being heavy handed with it that he wasn't handed at all. Like, you know, well, just, that's the thing is kind of laid there again. We always say, I think you and I always kind of have a thing of questioning. Like when we're watching a film where people are acting as real people mm-hmm. through a real event, the question is always, would this have been better served as a documentary or is there a reason for this to be an acted film? And this is one where I got to say, yeah, I don't really see a reason for it to be an acted film the way it was presented here. Sure. I didn't think I learned enough that I couldn't have learned through a really interesting documentary about about this time period. Um, I'll say this. I remember when Gary Hart was kind of in the public eye. You know, I was, I was a kid, but I remember it. Sure. I seem to remember he wasn't the most intriguing guy to watch on TV or to listen to talk. It was fairly I seem to remember fairly plain vanilla kind of candidate. That is a little bit of what Hugh Jackman plays him as too. Sure. I mean, he is kind of a, you know, he's passionate and he says some good things on camera when he's being interviewed and when he's out on the campaign trail, but you don't really, didn't really see a whole lot of depth to him. And I just wonder how much of that was truly Gary Hart versus the way Hugh Jackman's portraying him. Sure. Um, I think Hugh Jackman's hair <laughs> deserves like a best supporting. Yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, like it was good. I, you know, they got all the right stuff down pat as the far look as the, the time period, clothes, the look of the film. Yeah, sure. There were some moments, especially at the beginning of the film, where it's a lot of almost like a, you know, you're not really meant to like listen in on one particular person. You're just kind of getting a sense of all the activity going on at the time. Mm. I think they did some good things with, with some of that, but yeah, it was just a very slight movie, which is disappointing. Um, I almost wonder if Jason Reitman is maybe his strength as a filmmaker, the films I love of his is where he really gets to help us get to know and learn about a character, really help us develop that character. Think about uh, Charlize Theron and Tully. Mm-hmm. Think about, you know, some of the characters from Juno, even I would say George Clooney's character in up in the air. It's creating a character and then really seeing them develop and, here he's he's kind of been given a script and say this is obviously the people know who Gary Hart is we know how this thing ends mm-hmm. we don't get to see a lot of development and I think that kind of handcuffs Brightman a little bit you know he uh, he doesn't get to explore these characters he just has to tell the story that is out there for the public to know already well I think what's interesting is in the instances you've mentioned the three you mentioned two were co-productions with Diablo Cody. She helped write them. True. And then one up in the air, she didn't. Yep. So I tend to think his better work is with Diablo Cody. That being Juno, young adult and, um, Tully. That, those are his three best films. You're right. But then there's up in the air. And I actually like, thank you for smoking, which yep. are two that he did without her. 
And he did the screenplay so, for Up in the Air, I believe. He didn't write the original story, but he did the screenplay. Right, right. So he so, got to flesh out the characters so and dialogue. I think that's where maybe some things struggle is with the writing. Sometimes, like, you know, if Diablo Cody's at the helm, then, yeah, he does a good job taking over material and bringing it to the screen. But like you're saying, he did a good job with Up in the Air. So Well, I, I mean, and again, I'm reading a lot into this, and I don't mean to speak for Mr. Reitman because I don't know. <laughs> this seemed like a... A gun for a hire movie oh, where somebody okay. somebody had a script this is a hot political topic this is the right time to do this film let's go do it and jason reitman let's sign him on to be the director where at least with a lot of the other films i, I get the impression there was a little more emotional connection with for him with okay. the film here i don't know if he had it now i could be i'm just speculating sure. i Who don't knows? know but that's the way this came across is i didn't see anything really inspired in this film well so. i'll say i'll say this too um his next project, at least according to IMDb slash Letterbox, is supposedly the 2020 release of Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. Which I am curious about because he's attached to it. And you and I, like, you know, his film prior to this was Tully, which I, I loved. loved. Yeah, I did too. So you It know, was like top five film of the year yeah, for, I and think, so I was, for you and almost for me. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I I was let down with this, but I did not consider that maybe it was a little bit more of a gun for hire type thing. Interested to see what becomes of well, Ghostbusters three. When Ghostbusters, okay, you could you could if somebody listening and hearing that announcement say, "Oh boy, he's just signing on for a big budget, you know, remake or or sequel." Well, keep in mind his father was Ivan Reitman, <laughs> who did the original too. Right. So I could see it being a little bit more of a passion project for him than just a "Ooh, I get to direct a big blockbuster movie," and you know, well, and coming in after the Ghostbusters reboot that they tried to do mm-hmm. and everything like. I I would think that it's like, do I want that kind of headache? <laughs> so for him to be willing to take it on, I would hope means there's something special there. Right. So yeah, I, I agree. Think. I you know, I'm not gonna say the front runner is a bad movie. I think if you again, I'm glad I saw it because I am generally fascinated by political campaigns and of course I'm a child of the eighties, so I remember this time period. Sure. So I was looking forward to seeing it. And I think Hugh Jackman's a good actor that when given good material to work with does a good job. I just wish the film did more with sure. what it had. Instead, I felt like we just got a telling beat by beat of the day-to-day things. that We probably could have learned most of this by reading articles or watching a documentary. And that's, that's a shame when you lose, a narr- you lose the appeal of a narrative film when you just play some things out that people could have read and gotten the same sense of very easily. So, yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, that is the front runner. Uh, we're both saying, you know, not a bad movie, but not a lot to recommend from it. Just it fits a certain a certain need you may have to see a movie, and that's <laughs> fine. But and I, you know, if it's on at TV, there may be a few moments I'll watch of it here or there, but not a lot more beyond that. So I think you're being a little bit more kind than I would probably say. Really, you're yeah. saying I'm go saying ahead and skip ahead. Skip it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Chris is saying skip it. Uh, say maybe there's something there, but I'm not going to recommend it. So sure. All right. That is the front runner. That's our two reviews. Chris, how about let's take a break, get some water, freshen up a little bit, come back and we'll hit our news. We'll hit our recommendations and we'll go from there. Sounds Sound good. good. All right. You're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh TV. We'll be right back in just a moment. Hey, this is Moose from Street Circle Drive. That's the Hickory, North Carolina-centric podcast here on The Mesh. Be sure to check out our show and all the others at TheMesh.TV. 
Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Alan and Chris here with the Foot Candle Film Society, ready to talk some more about some more movies. Uh, we just finished our two reviews earlier in the show The Front Runner and Her Smell. Uh, Her Smell definitely being one we are recommending. Uh, the Front Runner, uh, not so much, but uh, <laughs> we're a little more split on that, but both of us still coming down on the more negative side yeah. of that review. So, Chris, let's go ahead and jump in and talk about some news items. I've just got a couple of topics to throw out there. This is the part of the show where we like to discuss maybe some projects we're hearing about, maybe some news, announcements, uh, all of that. And the first one is a bit of a follow-up from last episode, okay. but it's going to springboard into a whole different news item. Okay. okay. Just kind of follow me for the ride here. We talked about in the last episode uh, the rumor oh. of someone who was going to be selected to be the new Batman. Okay. I thought we were maybe going the whole Chris Rock and Saul thing. So. Oh, no, no, no. That's not a rumor. That's a locked, <laughs> that's that a was deal. a locked-in announcement. Done deal. Okay. Chris, uh, 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 Robert Pattinson was a rumor. Sure. A heavily reported rumor by many, many sources at the time. So it was kind of a foregone conclusion that was the deal. Okay. Well, it is official. Okay. Robert Pattinson is the new Batman. So now he's like stomping around places in a Batman uniform. Yes, he is already in, in costume. <laughs> awesome. He's not allowed to get out of the costume except nice. for showers. Awesome. Um, so June 2021. I want to see him in a Starbucks line. In yeah. His yeah I mean, costume. that he... I'm sure he's probably some form of a method actor, and now he has to be Batman, like for the next two City years. City Bojangles in a Batman yeah, costume. That's right, awesome. Because he's got until June 2021 is when the film's supposed to come out. Okay, so that's that. So congratulations, Robert. You won. Good job. I'm sorry, Bat Ham will not happen. Like <laughs> I was hoping it would with uh, John Ham in the role, but uh, maybe maybe when they do a older Batman in mm. the future. A Dark Knight Returns type of thing. Okay. Maybe John Hamm can still pull that off. I'm, I'm hopeful. Fair enough. But let's talk about Robert Pattinson on another project. So this, Bat, Bat Pat? Is that <laughs> Bat Pat. Oh, I like that. Yeah, Bat Pat we have now. Um, so before we see him in the cowl, okay. he is going to be in the new film by a Mr. Christopher Nolan. So a little interesting synergy there. Of course, Nolan bringing us the latest uh, Batman solo films. Mm-hmm. And doing a really good job with them. Well, Christopher Nolan has a film called Tenet coming out in uh, July 2020, so about a year from now. Okay. I knew the name of the film had been released, but that's all I know about it. Well, and I don't, just like any other Christopher Nolan film, we don't know really anything else about it. Okay. Dunkirk, we knew very, very little about it. Except other than you're we, like, it's going to be something about World War It's a war, war movie, <laughs> but and there's planes in it, but that's right. about all we really knew. Sure. So, uh, Tenet. Uh, the thing I'm probably the most excited about with this film, it stars starring John David Washington. Okay. So that is uh, Denzel's uh, Denzel Washington's son. son. He was the lead actor in Black Klansman from uh, last year, which we both really liked. And uh, got nominated uh, for acting, I believe, for that I film. I think so. So um, he is going to be the lead. Okay. We also have Aaron Taylor Johnson, hmm. Kenneth Branagh's returning from his role in Dunkirk to play in this film, too. Okay. And now Robert Pattinson has also been added to the cast. So interesting actors, which is something Nolan typically does is gets a good cast together for this. <laughs> All we know about the film is that it's from an original screenplay of Nolan's. Okay. It'll use a mix of both IMAX and 70 millimeter film. Of course. That's of him. course. <laughs> Being filmed across seven different countries. Okay, so the bankroll is shooting up. It's a big budget. <laughs> sure. International espionage 
film. Hmm. Considered an epic is how it's being uh, labeled. Do we know if it's a period thing about espionage or is it present day? Don't know. Because I can see from me, I mean, I think I've mentioned this before. I kind of get burned out, like the whole Bourne series and, you know, Atomic Blonde, which I did like Atomic Blonde. Yeah. But then they have out this movie that's coming out called Anya or something that's about about this spy. They had Red Mm. Sparrow. The whole, like, spy espionage thing. You're talking about, like, modern-day spies or just... Well, even some period. Like, I'm just kind of done. I just don't... don't, don't, But Christopher Nolan being involved and all these actors, I'm like, well, if anybody... Just like I was kind of done with war movies, but Dunkirk I really like. It's very different. we got to hope it will be. Yeah. This is being labeled, of course, by the studios as an action epic. Now... (laughs) Kind of, you know, okay. I, again, I would not call Dunkirk a epic war film either. I want to so. see Kenneth Branagh in an action epic. Well, that we'll be, see. That would be epic. We are talking uh, July 2020, so okay. about a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, good cast. Of course, a good director. Christopher Nolan. I mean, I know we're both fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't remember, Chris. What is your favorite Nolan film? Wow. Um I don't know. I, I'd yeah. have to. I'd have to. I mean, I'm really high on Inception. Um, okay. I like all three Batman movies. The strongest one is actually kind of tough for me between um, Batman Begins and Dark Knight because of I, I don't know. I bet yeah. Dark Knight's probably better. <laughs> um, I, Batman Begins is my favorite Nolan film. Is it yep. okay? And, and then, then, I really like Memento. Like yeah, and know, The Prestige is my second favorite. Oh, I, I love The Prestige. That. Love God the about that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I definitely think he's probably one of the most interesting directors to be following right now because yeah. he hasn't really made a bad movie. I would agree with that. Um, I think the one he did with Robin Williams and Robert and, and, and Robert See, De Niro like was good. It. No, no, I like not, not, I'm sorry, Al Pacino. Yeah. I liked it too. It wasn't a great movie. It, it wasn't to me like one of those that just very memorable and just really did some interesting things. Sure. Memento obviously was very creative. And then you had uh, that film, which I just didn't feel like was as impressive, but it was a fine, fine film. Sure. And then he jumped right into, uh, um, I think after that is when he did Batman. Batman Batman, And really stuff took off from there. So, um, yeah, Batman Begins is my favorite Nolan film. Prestige is a close second. Okay. Yeah. Then I'd say The Dark Knight. I do like The Dark Knight. I just like Batman Begins better. Sure. So... Okay, so that's uh, Christopher Nolan and Robert Pattinson working together. So let's flip over and talk about uh, festivals, most notably the Cannes Film Festival. It uh, just I've wrapped up. Heard of that one? Yes, it's um, our ticket got lost in the mail. Um, we were invited, is what my understanding was, but we didn't get to make we're it. Be on some panels and be some well, judges too. Right? And plus, I mean, it would have been a really tough time for me to go to. I've got a lot going on right now. <laughs> I understand. So, um, you know, not that I wouldn't have enjoyed a little jaunt out to the south of France for a really nice. Uh, We've already event. asked them to kind of move the dates for next year. I did. So fit I requested our schedule better. I said, so. I've got a lot of yard work going on. I've got. I mean, there's just things sure. that are making it really tough for me to go. Um, so we didn't get to go, so we have to just read like like the commoners, all the <laughs> reviews and news that come out of the festival. Sure. There are a couple of things I did want to highlight that I thought were interesting. I'm not going to go through all the selections and winners, but just maybe three highlights from it. So the Palme d'Or, which is the first place prize that's given to uh, a film in that film festival, was awarded. It was awarded to the latest film by Bong Joon-ho, which is called Parasite. Now, Bong Joon-ho's last film to go to Cannes was 
Okja. Oh, I remember. Yeah, and that was where kind of the whole controversy started up about the fact that it was a Netflix film. Mm -hmm. And because of that entry, it kind of started this whole controversy about whether or not Ken would even allow films that were going to premiere online first. Well, with this film, Parasite, he did kind of go backwards and say, all right, he released it in traditional theaters. It's going the more traditional route. Um, But it does sound really interesting. I'm actually really anxious to see the film. Korean language film. And talk about two families of vastly different fortunes. One young man in particular struggling from a struggling family begins working as a tutor for a member of the wealthy one. They say it starts out a lot like the film Shoplifters that we reviewed a few months ago that okay. we showed here at the Film Society in one Palm d'Or last year. Okay. Um, but they say it detours into something funnier, angrier, and much bloodier later in the film. So well, bloodier with Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, exactly. Sense. Huh. So that was the Palm d'Or, one first place. Um, looking forward to seeing that here in the future. Now, another probably film. Probably not on Netflix. No, probably not on Netflix. <laughs> okay. um, now, another film that got a kind of a premiere at Cannes and uh, was trying to recapture some of its uh, this director's previous magic was Quentin Tarantino's film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Tarantino won the Palme d'Or for Pulp Fiction back in 94, I believe, is the year that it came out. Yeah, a while ago. Yeah. Now, the reports are from the screenings. You know, they have a screening where it's for the audience, and then they have a screening that's just critics only. Are you going to mention the handwritten letter? Or not handwritten letter, but the letter that was then signed by him that was, like, handed out to, I guess, some people. Oh, about not spoiling the ending? Yeah, like, it was, like, this type letter, and then he, like, had a signature. It was, like, you know... We all enjoy movies, and please, like, don't... Don't spoil it. Don't spoil details. Well, and to their credit, I have not read anything that's spoiled anything. Of course, I've intentionally not tried to read too many reviews of it yet. Um, It's still... We've still got another month or two before it comes out in late July. I can't I know. Believe me, I I know. (laughs) My AMC reserve ticket uh, capability on my app is going to be put to good use for that film when it's announced. Um. But you know the thing is the 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 the, the word coming out of Cannes has been a little mixed. Supposedly it got a huge standing ovation from an, the audience screening, like seven or eight minutes, people standing afterwards. Oh, wow! But then I heard on the critics' side it was crickets. Like didn't really get a lot of response from critics. So it's been a little mixed bag. There have been some critics who come out and said, "Awesome masterpiece, best since Pulp Fiction." And then others saying, eh, didn't quite hit the mark. Hmm. I think it's going to be divisive, which I think a lot of his films in the last several years have been. Sure. I think, uh, you know, I think even though everybody was kind of universal around Pulp Fiction. Right. Even his very next film, Jackie Brown, became very divisive. You either really love it or some people just couldn't stand it. And every film since then, I think, has kind of gone that same path. I don't think you've got universal feelings about Tarantino's films anymore. Even the hateful eight, you and I were not big fans of. I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I felt like he got too wrapped up in the whole filmmaking part of it. You know, the, the techniques he was using and how he was using this film stock. And he was all into that 70 millimeter. I yeah. think it was as opposed to actually making a good movie. Good movie. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, I cannot wait for once upon a time in Hollywood. It is my most anticipated film right now of the year. Um, so we will have to see. We will look forward to reviewing it and discussing when it comes out. Absolutely. The last thing I'll mention about I will, the, I will or, say, yeah. and then they haven't revealed a lot, but I, I remember early on, because you and I have had that as a news item, I think ever since it was announced oh, yeah. that, you know, what his next film was going to be. And I remember there was a lot of hesitancy with people because at first it was like, it kind of seemed like it was going to be a Charles Manson biopic, or mm-hmm. not a biopic, but it was going to. 
but I, from the stuff that I have heard out of can, just like general response, I don't think it, I mean, they show him a little bit in the trailer, but I don't think it's gonna, I don't think it's going to make me feel queasy about him being in the movie. I don't yeah, think, I don't, I really I don't, don't know. know. I have I no know. idea. The fact that there, so actually I was kind of afraid because the early stuff made it sound like he was going to glorify kind of. Charles Manson, and I don't well, think the, that's the case. I still wonder, though, this whole note going out about not spoiling the ending. and I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it. I have. Yeah, so you at least have seen kind of how they've pitched the film a little bit. Right. Um, I get the impression that's maybe a little misleading. I think mm. they're planning, I think the film maybe got a different tone to it than what we've seen so far. And I don't know if the Manson side of it plays into that or not. I have no idea. I'm right. just all speculating at this point. So be interesting. No matter yeah, what. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, but yeah, you never, you never know. You never, <laughs> you never know. know. This is the same movie, the same guy who, you know, Inglorious Bastards, which is my favorite of his films. I think um, it's probably my favorite as yeah. well. Yeah. And it's, that's a film that ends with them murdering Hitler, you know, True. and revisionist history side of things. So there's really no telling where True. this film's going to go either. So. Um, last thing I'll mention with the, with the Cannes Film Festival, and this is on the opposite side where it's a probably considered the biggest, the worst situation of film screening that they had at the Cannes Film oh, Festival. Okay, I don't know about this. <laughs> oh, you don't? <laughs> so, um, oh boy, I'm going to butcher the name. The director Jerry is... Jerry Bruckheimer. Abdelatif Kinich. He did Blue's The Warmest Color oh, okay. a couple I, years I, ago. No, that film? So he brought his latest film to the Cannes Film Festival. And the rumor is, from what I've read, that normally the people who kind of pick the films to show at Cannes get to see the films in advance, and that kind of makes the determination whether they bring them or not. Sure. Supposedly with this film, they only saw a small portion of the film. They didn't get to see the whole thing. They still made the decision to bring it. Uh, the film's Now made- those people have been fired. <laughs> The film's title is Mechtob, My Love, Intermezzo. And it is kind of a follow-up to Blue's Warmest Color. It's kind of in that same vein, not the same characters, okay. not the same actresses. Because remember, the actresses in that movie kind of they were had some real him, right? issues yeah. about his style of filmmaking and the stuff he put them through. This film that came out and it was shown at Cannes uh, was considered to be such a disappointment. It failed to get U.S. distribution, which is oh. kind of considered a rarity at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Um, it is 200, so it'll go straight to Netflix, <laughs> 212 minutes long, Whoa. which is three, gosh, three and a half hours long, three mm. hours, 40 minutes, um, takes place almost entirely in a nightclub in 1994 hmm. features a nearly pornographic 14 minute sex scene. And according to some of the tweets and things I've read about this film, uh, the, the guesstimation is that literally 60% of the movie is a close up of butts. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the nightclub. There's no yeah. plot. Oh, good. and supposedly a whole lot of it is just close-ups of people's butts, butts. dancing, <laughs> uh, followed wow. by pornographic sex scenes. Oh my gosh! So, um, yeah, plot-free, 212 minutes. Um, Kyle Buchanan of New York Times said it's the world's artsiest "Girls Gone Wild" episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. it's supposedly considered a real embarrassment that it showed and it was such a horrible experience. People wow. getting up and leaving. I had not heard about that. Yeah. 
So we will, we will not be reviewing that <laughs> film. Chris, just our luck. If we had a chance to go to, to the Cannes Film Festival, that's the one. That would have been the one film that we like oh, we actually got in line to go awesome. see. <laughs> if we come um, away so disappointed, man. <laughs> All right, so that's the Cannes Film Festival in a very quick nutshell. Um, there's a lot more. I mean, they showed you know, you know dozens and dozens more films. Uh, but as far as the ones that kind of stood out as the highlights, that's what I heard a little bit more about. So, Chris, that's all we've got for news right now. Let's go ahead and roll into the last portion of our show. And this is the one where you and I both get to kind of chime in with one film. Can be old, can be new, can be uh, in a little known, can be well known. Just something we feel like we want to bring back to the to the forefront or get people's attention to. And recommend as something you may want to check out or watch if you have some some free time to do so. So Chris, how about uh, I've been chattering the last little bit. Go ahead and tell us what your uh, what your recommendation is for this episode. I am going to recommend a film that came out in 2019 and uh, I guess trying to rib the folks over at the Cannes Film Festival. It was released right on Netflix. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yes. um, Triple Frontier. And it's kind of an action, adventure, crime uh, film. It's directed by J.C. Chandor, he who did... Um, all is lost with Robert Redford. He did margin margin call. call. Yep. Yeah. And so this is his latest. It stars a guy you might've heard of uh, Ben Affleck. I guess he mm. has time now that he's not Batman, Oscar mm, Isaac, damn. Charlie Hunnam. So it's kind of a, a cast of, you know, big actors. And basically it is, it's kind of an action movie where these guys are kind of sent on, go on this mission. And you know, it's, it's good. It's, it is a genre type movie. It's kind of a, you know, it's definitely a guy's movie, but you know, the plot synopsis is loyalties are tested when five former special forces operate operatives reunite to steal a drug Lord's fortune, unleashing a chain of unintended consequences. So there you go. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, you said was, Oscar Isaac, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oscar Which I Isaac. like Oscar Check, Isaac. You know, yeah. And JC Chandor, he's, He's definitely capable as a director. I liked it. It's on Netflix. Um, you know, is it something that I'm going to be hailing for best performances of the year? No. Um, but it was just, it was good. It was a good time. Good, you know, and, and typically, you know, action movies, I'm not the biggest fan of. There's not something more to them. But um, this, I thought this was pretty good. So Triple Frontier, it's on Netflix. It may have slid by because they released so much stuff. But uh, yeah, check it out. Okay. All right. Triple Frontier. I, I, I had heard about it. I did not realize Oscar Isaac was in it. So now oh, I'm a yeah. little more intrigued because I, I like him. The title the title's kind of dumb. Well, but. it's a little, <laughs> little janky there. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So mine, uh, I, I, as I was opening the segment, I said, if you have a few minutes to, to watch a film, you may want to check out something. Well, the good news on mine is you only need like 28 minutes or 30 minutes okay. because it is a shorter film, obviously. But it is also one that showed up on Netflix. So we're giving Netflix a lot of publicity right now in our recommendations. And I know Chris, you've seen this as well. So I'm anxious to hear your thoughts, but it is the lonely Island presents the unauthorized bash brothers experience. (laughs) All right. So this is lonely Island, which is, uh, Adams, Adam, Sam, Andy Samberg. And then he's got two of his other partners that are writers that are comedians. And then Andy Samberg's part. He's also been a known actor in a lot of comedies and TV. They have a comedy group, The Lonely Island. They put out the film Popstar a few mm-hmm. couple, couple years ago that we reviewed here. We both liked. Yes. Um, we re, uh, They did another film called Hot Rod, which I like. 
which I don't know if anybody else does, yeah, but not, not a fan. I still crack up over that movie. Uh, they've also had a lot of involvement with Saturday Night Live, doing digital, digital shorts. Uh, it's just that they're a great comedy team. They're responsible for everything is awesome from the Lego movie. That's true. That's right. They did so, write that as well. Yeah. So when they just dropped unannounced day mm-hmm. one, hey, we put out a new, they call it a visual poem <laughs> on Netflix. My first thing is I looked at it. I looked at the description. I'm like, what is this? Because A, it is... Um, a spoof of Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, two famous baseball players. Right. These two were kind of known as the Bash Brothers because of their, you know, their hitting records and performance and all. But it turns them into a, a performing a visual rap album <laughs> back in the eighties, which is awesome. It really is. Although you know that description does not do it justice. I mean, it truly is. Imagine seven or eight music videos for rap songs stitched together, high production value, extremely very funny lyrics. Um, I think they get progressively better as they go along. I think lots of cameos, lots of cameos, uh, a lot of vulgarity. I mean, it's a pretty raunchy, raunchy film, but really funny just to take this idea of two famous baseball players who kind of had a little bit of a connection rivalry. Did they do steroids? I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's pretty clearly expected here. Right. Um, and it's just funny. I mean, just kind of playing off the concept of just, hey, here's two baseball players who got known as the Bash Brothers. And what if they did a comedy rap album? What if they did a rap album together? What would that look like? And how would we do their music videos for it? And it's pretty crazy. It's almost like if Terrence Malick was hired to do <laughs> a series of rap music videos. Hmm. It's kind of the idea behind it because it all is, they say it's a visual poem and they kind of tie it together because in between the songs, there are passages of a poem and a lot of shots of trees and just very visual stuff. But then it goes into like these really hardcore rap songs. And uh, I don't know. It was an experience. Oh, absolutely. And I will say, you know what? If it was a two hours of this, okay, that maybe would be too much. I wouldn't see a lot of value in it. But at 25 minutes, I'm like, perfect. That's all I needed. It's like a nice episode of a good TV show. It's funny. I can absorb it while I'm sitting watching eating dinner. Uh, I had a good time with it. So, and plus, I just think I think Andy Sadberg has gotten progressively better with age. I wasn't the biggest fan of his work in Saturday Night Live. I thought it was a little hit or miss. Hmm. But since he's gotten away from the the live comedy bit and gotten to produce a lot of his own stuff and do TV and some movies, I think he's gotten progressively or funnier. Hmm. And everything he does with this trio has been really good. So yeah, I, I can only hope that their relationship with Netflix continues because <laughs> I think that may be kind of a sweet spot. Well, it's kind of nice to think as a performer, you know, like all right, we've got an idea of something we want to do. It doesn't have to be a full length film on Netflix. It doesn't matter. It could be ten minutes. It could be three hours long. Right. We have an idea. Here's something we can do, and we can put it together, and we just drop it on the audience. Doesn't need a whole lot of marketing, a whole lot of fanfare. Just Put it out there. Our audience will find it and enjoy it. See, I've been kind of surprised because I have, like, you know, I found the movie I recommended, Triple Frontier. Netflix did promote it a little bit. They tweeted about it. They would put it on kind of the home screen when you would go to log in. And with that film, I'm kind of surprised, like, they haven't really, like, done anything about it 
at all. I wouldn't have even known about it right. if it wasn't for some people on my uh, Twitter feed who said, oh, hey, look what just dropped and linking to it. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Okay. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's it's great. It's funny. It's <laughs> It is, it is enjoyable. <laughs> it is. So, uh, all right. So that is the Lonely Island Brothers presents the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience. That's uh, quite the title. It is. <laughs> and then we had Triple Frontier, also quite the title, uh, <laughs> from Chris on a recommendation there as well. So, Chris, we uh, hit a lot of more independent, smaller stuff, you know, yes. in our reviews today, which is good. That smell. That's personal. I have to joke about it because unfortunately when I was trying to search for this movie last (laughs) night to watch it on iTunes, I kept searching for that smell and I never found the movie. (laughs) I found a whole lot of Leonard Skinner compilations and biographies, but not the movie I was looking for. So my apologies for calling it the wrong name. Her smell (laughs) uh, by Alex Ross Perry. We're both very high on. Uh, Then we had the front runner, we're both fairly low on. I would maybe have a little more graciousness towards it than Chris did, but still neither of us finding a whole lot of reason to recommend it. We had our news items with talking about Robert Pattinson, thanking him, congratulating him for his job as Batman, hmm. and also the role he'll be playing in Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet. And then the results of the Cannes Film Festival and how, Chris, I really feel like what our podcast is missing is 60% more dancing butts. <laughs> so right. maybe we need to see how we figure that out into the, the <laughs> equation here. Uh, <laughs> I just hope it's not me and you, because right. that would be... That would uh, that'd not be pretty. That's not going to be fun. No. So, All right. So we're going to wrap it up. Chris, people have some opinions. Uh, maybe they want to be a, more of a champion for the front runner, tell us what we missed, <laughs> or tell us why her smell is not all that. Anything in between. How can they go about getting a hold of us? So you can send some email feedback to info at the mesh TV with foot can on the subject line. Also, uh, as far as feedback goes, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a star rating or a view because that helps us reach new listeners. Uh, you can follow us on letterbox.com or even on Twitter. We have foot candle film on Twitter as well as I'm at Chris Fry and Alan is at Alan Jackson. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival that's going to be coming up September 27th through the 29th. We are closing out uh, submissions, and we're actually narrowing things down and getting ready to announce our lineup in another month or so. Yep. So um, look for that, but we're really excited. We're going to have a lot of good films and filmmakers attending, so that's always a good thing. And then, you know, we'll throw this out to our listeners. I'll let Alan give a little bit more information, but uh, we like movies. We know that you do, too. I've never done fantasy football, but (laughs) I am doing what we call the Fantasy Movie League. Uh, Yes. Alan, why don't you uh, talk a little bit more? All right. So this is you've stuck to the end of the show. That tells us right away that you, someone who like movies and like You have films, a problem. You like movies. <laughs> there's that too. So we, there's an app, a, a website and an app called Fantasy Movie League. And what it is, is it's a bidding game where every week you basically build your Cineplex, your own personal eight screen Cineplex of what movies you feel like are going to make the most money that upcoming weekend at the box office. So we've been having some fun with it inside our own, our own circle, but we want to open it up. We would like for everybody else that's interested to join us in our league. You can sign up or be a part of this. You can join in. It doesn't cost a thing. It's a free game. It is free. It's a free game. Which is nice. It's fun. Week to week, every week we have a winner and we have an overall winner at the end of the season. 
And uh, so what you want to do is if you're interested, go, uh, you can go to Fantasy Movie League. If you just search on Google, find it, the website for this group. Sign up, and it is, again, free. You can sign up with uh, Google, Facebook, or just your own email address. But when you get there, Foot Candle Cinemas is the name of our league. So if you'd like to join our league, all you got to do is search for that league and uh, request to join, and we'll approve you. And you can join the Foot Candle Cinemas League. And we uh, every week, we'll see how our competition goes and who picked the best multiplex out of uh, all the films available to us that weekend. So, for example, this weekend, we've got a, a big contest coming up. I'm curious to see We have Godzilla, uh, King of All Monsters, coming out. Uh, that is kind of expected to be the number one movie at the cinema and probably going to make a good bit of money. But we also have the Elton John biopic, Rocket Man, which I think right. could be a little bit of a could, – could overperform what they're expecting. You've got a second weekend of Aladdin, the Disney remake. And you got a lot of other films kind of filling the multiplex. So you got um, Ma. The oh yeah, that's right. Ma, the, the uh, Octavia Spencer. Right. So you're given basically a thousand bucks to spend. Each film has a certain value of it. It costs based on how popular the film is or how new it is. And you pick and choose your your slate of eight films based on what you can afford and uh, what films are coming out or are still in the in the movies. So it's a lot of fun. We have a good time with it here in the offices. But we'd love for you to join us as well. So anybody who's hearing this and sounds the slightest bit intrigued wants to spend maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes a week putting together their slate and competing with us. Or late nights putting together spreadsheets, depending on how you roll. Yeah, so I may or may not have a SQL database built (laughs) to help me predict winners. But I will also say... Out of the three people that we started this league with, I'm in third place. So don't listen to me. You could just go on there and just randomly guess and probably do better than I'm doing. All right. So Fantasy Movie League, it's an app on, uh, I know, iPhone. I'm assuming Google as well. And we also have the website you can use too, Fantasy Movie League. Hope to see you there. And I think that should wrap it up for us, Chris. Uh, You mentioned the film festival. Uh, We'll have more information on that before too long. And uh, just stay tuned to find out what our next episode is as far as reviews, recommendations, and news that we have to share. So, for Alan and Chris from the Foot Candle Film Society, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.